Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 43, where we're talking about books around the theme of going places. Hello, Kendra. Hello, Autumn. Great theme that you picked out here. It was a tough one, though. I thought it was going to be easy, but, you know. <laughs> I know, right? It's like up, to, up for interpretation. <laughs> but maybe it's just like summer travel and that you think it's going to be relaxing and then it ends up not being as relaxing as you think it's going to be. <laughs> I don't say that. Don't say that. I'm about, to, I'm about to go on vacation. Sorry. Anyway. No, but we read a lot of really great books and it's a really wide selection of things. So we hope you like them. Yeah, there is pretty much literally something for everyone in this selection. <laughs> But before we get too far into that, we have a lot, well, not a lot, but significant news, I would say. Well, at least award news. Well, yeah, but I mean... That's, not like personal news. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, Dylan's going to see the beach for the first time. That's exciting. Well, there you go. And Agnes got a haircut, but that's beside the point. Yeah, so this has been another award week. And so we found out the winner of the Stella Prize... The book that won was Tracker by Alexis Wright, and it is actually, is it, like, nonfiction, nonfiction? Yeah, it's nonfiction. It's a big deal off of Stella. Yeah, and it's the first time a woman, like, an indigenous woman has won it as well. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's a pretty landmark. I'm not sure how many other nonfiction books have actually won the prize. Not not many, if, if at all. Uh, you know, and the book is about a indigenous activist life, and it's supposed to be a very innovative type of biography, as well. Yeah, we'll have to try to get our hands on it. Yeah, it's one of those that wasn't on book depository or anywhere, but I have had uh, some people on YouTube tell me about other places that I could order it from. So as long as they don't want to charge me, like you know, an arm and a leg. Well, maybe if you find a good dealer, let us know so we can get in on it too. <laughs> Everyone needs a good book dealer. This is a fact. It's true. It's true, especially for this this one where it's from a different country and it's not published in the U.S. So. Yes. So we'll see. But we're really excited about it. It definitely was an underdog, I think. I think so. To win. But I'm glad. Like, I'm really glad that it did win because I think it's going to raise awareness for a group of people and historical figure that hasn't previously been in the light, which is always amazing. That's true. That's true. And the other, the two front runners, The Life to Come by Michelle Kretzer and Ternelius by Claire G. Coleman, were already being published in the United States before the prize came out. And usually, and historically, every Stella Prize winner who hasn't already been published in the United States has been picked up by a U.S. publisher at some point. So hopefully that will mean that Tracker will come to the United States. I hope so. Fingers crossed. And our other prize news is not, unfortunately, a Pulitzer Prize winner in fiction, but we did have a Pulitzer Prize winner in biography. Caroline Fraser won for Prairie Fires, which is her really in-depth biography of Lori Ingalls Wilder. Did you read this one? No, I own it, and it's been on my TBR since it came out in November. Uh, this is by Henry Holt, and it it was published at a really, honestly, a horrible time for books, which is right around Black Friday. Like, it came out in November. Mm. Now, the New York Times Book Review did name it as one of its top, I think, top 10 books, but it was a huge surprise because it got terrible coverage when it came out. Hmm. Yeah, I remember you mentioning it, but per always, that's the only way I really hear about things. Yeah, so I was really, I was really excited, and my mom, who introduced me to them, was really excited as well because she's like, oh, I'll my read that one. <laughs> mm, that's fun. But yeah, other than that, there, I mean, Elif Bachman got nominated for fiction for The Idiot, 
And other than that, there really wasn't much. Yeah. I I feel like they really need to step up on their coverage of women. I mean, I always think this, but I mean, it's been like, what, four years since Donna Tart won for the Goldfinch? It's yes. time. And, you know, we said this last year, but we still haven't had to change the stats on our front homepage of our website yet <laughs> to, in- uh. <laughs> to increase the winners. Like, we just haven't had to. It's not like we missed it. It's no one else has won. No other woman has won. <laughs> yeah, sadly. Have we jinxed it? And, and we have to. No, no, don't say that. But we do have to wait six more years for another Donna Tart, so that either Donna Tart needs to have a book come out sooner, or they need to fix it, which I think they need to yeah. fix it. But and even the book that won for fiction, I I recognize the cover, but I'd never heard of it. Like I, I'm just like how I know I don't pay as much attention to books by dudes, just by the nature of what we do. But I was like, where did this book come from? <laughs> I've at least heard of the other two who are finalists. Well. Definitely, if you're a fan of Little House on the Prairie, pick up Prairie Fires, because I think, because that's definitely going to be a great read. Yeah, and there's, like, photos, and it's really in-depth, and she did a scholarly biography, so it has footnotes, and, and like, it has all the things that you would need, and further reading, and so it's it's very, very in-depth. And I've heard also that that it also talks about her daughter, and how her daughter heavily influenced the publication of Laura Ingalls Wilder's books, and Rose Wilder Lane is, I think, her name, so... Definitely go check those out. There's always next year. There's always next year. It's like when your sports team does not win, and you're like, well, it's next year. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> it was it was the uh, San Francisco Giants last year, and they were abysmal. They were one of the worst teams ever. And so my house was a sad place. <laughs> and so I feel like this is what it is like now. I know how my husband feels now. <laughs> anyway... We have books to talk anyway, about. We have, yes. Why don't you start us off with our first recommendation? All right. So my first pick is a book that I've seen uh, probably everywhere, and that is Clarissa Gunwin's uh, Rainbirds. And this is out from Soho Press, which is an indie press here in the United States. And this novel won the Bath Novel Award, the Dundee International Book Prize. It was a finalist for that prize. It was shortlisted for the Santa Fe Writers Project Literary Award and was shortlisted for the first novel prize. And this is just a excellent debut um, by a, a Indonesian-born Singaporean writer. You know, I've seen this book a lot on on Bookstagram, and you've probably seen it. It's a white cover with like an are they fish? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's why I got confused because it has birds in the title, but they're actually fish. Anyway, there's Plays a neon pink one and a neon orange one. It's really pretty. It is. It's very beautiful. It's a well, very well-made book. I've been very impressed with Soho Press and their construction of books. Uh, So this novel is about a Japanese man who's about to graduate from college. His name is Ren, and his sister is murdered in a town, little town outside of Tokyo, and so he travels there to settle her affairs. Now, his sister and his parents are estranged, so it's this really awkward situation, but when he gets there, he realizes that not everything is as it seems. He's actually offered a job at that school where she used to teach, and he's actually filling her position, which is really awkward. And he's also staying in the same room where his sister stayed when she lived there. And it's like this little black hole of mystery that he's kind of tumbling into. He's not exactly sure what he wants to do with his life. So he's kind of using this to buy himself time. And so it's part mystery, part grief novel, part character study on this guy named Ren and what he's doing with his life. Interesting. 
That's not what I thought it would be about based off of the title. I know. I I would I had no idea. Like I think I described it on BookTube as I had totally wrong. I thought it was about two sisters and all these other things and I thought it included suicide. No. It's just what does the title mean? Do you know? A uh, Rainbirds, it's a symbol throughout the book. His sister uh, really cared about animals, and so she actually bought birds, captive birds, and tried to set them free. Mm. But she did, and someone, this random guy, was like, you've just murdered them because they don't know how to live on their own. It's the idea that a captive, you know, you've been captive for so long, you have no idea how to live on your own. Hmm. That's interesting. It's very well done throughout the novel. And what's really interesting about this book is that it's not written in it, even though it's originally written in English, it's not written in the English tradition of literature. I feel like it's ref referencing a lot of Japanese literature um, more. And I have not read enough, but uh, Samaya over at Samaya Books on Instagram said that it reminds her of Murakami and it's more of a Japanese novel tradition. Um, and mm. Jung Yoon actually reviewed it and said it's a great addition to the Japanese novel tradition. So it's a very international book with the author being originally from Singapore, but being born in Indonesia and about a book set in Japan. That's really fascinating. It is. I think it's a great international type novel. It's a great way to broaden perspective of what the novel is. And it's just a different style. Like the storytelling feels different. And I greatly enjoyed that. It's like a new realm of books I haven't even discovered yet. And I always love uncovering indie presses that I haven't heard of before. I have a book on my shelf right now that's burning a hole on it that's from an indie press I've never read from before. I need to bump that up. Yeah. Soho does a great job. They did um, a Sujata Massey's uh, The Widows of Malbar Hill. They have an imprint called Soho Crime. And it's really good. They do a great job. And I have another book by them called The Story... See, no, The Marriage of a Thousand Lies, which is cool. I'm very excited. That's probably going to be... Um, one of my next books in May. Cool. So that was Rainbirds by Clarissa Gunnawin, and that comes out, uh, it came out from Soho Press. And it looks like it's your first pick, Autumn. So mine is A Tale for a Time Being by Ruth Ozeki, and this book is published by Viking, and it's been out for a couple years. But it's an, a story that alternates between the story of a girl named Now and a woman named Ruth. What happens is Ruth, she lives like on the very west coast, like, in Canada, but, like, at the border of the U.S., and she and her husband kind of live, she's a writer, and she lives kind of secluded from the world, and she's taking a walk one day and finds a Hello Kitty lunchbox, and she opens it up, and there's a diary in it, and her husband thinks that it is a, I think it's her husband, anyway, her, her spouse or partner thinks that it is some of the debris from the tsunami that just happened in Japan, or she thinks it is, and he doesn't, and they kind of disagree about it. And then it, we find out that in it is this diary by this girl named Now. So it alternates between their two narratives. And so even though, like, you find out that they're actually, like, living years apart, the way their stories intertwine is really interesting. So there's, like, a feeling of, like, immediacy that's not actually there in real life, as it were. But, I mean, I've, I heard about this book. Somehow I lost it. So it sounds amazing. Just the premise. Yeah, and so there is, like, time travel-ish in it, but not in, like, a magical sort of way. It's like they're literally journeying back and forth through time by connecting with each other's narratives. It covers a lot of themes like suicide and just, like, so now she, her dad worked for a startup in Silicon Valley for a while. So they went from Japan to America, back to Japan. So she talks a lot about the struggles of readjusting back to her 
her culture in Japan and how different it is to the life she had in California. And then Ruth is kind of grappling with like her mother's death and her mother had Alzheimer's. And then there's a big passage about 9-11, which is a big part of the story as well. So it covers a wide range of like, it's kind of strange too for me to read like 9-11 books because I still remember, like I remember so clearly when it happened that it's kind of strange that it's made its way into fiction now. Um, but I loved it. Like, I thought it was really great. And I actually listened to the audiobook, and Ruth reads the audiobook. And she gives this little disclaimer at the end about how she feels about... She's like, you know, I read this audiobook, and I feel like the audiobook has a life of its own compared to, like, the, te- the print book and kind of explains that. Which I also thought was really cool that she would comment on that. Yeah, because I think, like, most people just, like, send it off into the world and... I, I do think the audio provides an interesting medium. So now, and the other character, Ruth, and it's also the author's name is Ruth. Is that like a play on her real life? I don't think so. I don't think it's supposed to be autobiographical, but it is interesting because Ruth and Ruth have the same name. Yeah. But now is not a real character. Like, she's a fiction. That's interesting. I feel like it's sort of like Elena Ferrante writing about a girl named Elena, but then Elena Ferrante is also, like, a pseudonym. So your brain just melts trying yeah, to think about it's, it. <laughs> it's She does a lot of interesting things with, like, plot and with structure because there's even a part in the middle where it's, like, letters from Nao's uncle. But one thing that I thought was interesting, too, is Ruth says in her, at the end of, of the audiobook, that she, when she writes, she thinks about how it sounds. Like, she doesn't write for how it looks on the page. She think writes for how it sounds. So for her, an audiobook was, like, a, a clear extension of how she actually writes. But there's, like, footnotes in the book, and there's also, like, illustrations in the book. So there are two different experiences. But I, I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend this book. Well, I'm going to add that to my TBR. We will pause while Kendra adds it to her Goodreads. <laughs> Yeah, so this was published in 2013, so it's been out for a while, but it is an amazing book that you definitely want to try to get a copy of. So that is A Tale for a Time Being by Ruth Ozeki. And my next pick is The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert, and this is published by Flatiron Books. And this is actually, I, th- I think this is a young adult novel. I am fairly certain. Um, Flatiron, I don't think, does has a YA imprint per se, but they do produce books like um, Caravel uh, for YA, for a YA audience. Mm. But this book, you know, I I read the Rain, I read Rainbirds and some other books that were pretty intense, and I just needed a break. You know, like my brain was exhausted, like emotionally, from reading all of this mm-hmm. intense stuff. Um, and I also read like Leslie Jameson's new book on addiction, and I was just like, okay, I'm I'm done. <laughs> so I read this in like one sitting. Sorry, I just slammed my hand down on the book. <laughs> And if you see the cover, you have to go check it out in, in you know, real life. Uh, it has, like, this foil cover, and it's on a black back mat background. I've seen it. It's, it's amazing. It's really gorgeous. And so this book is about a girl named Alice, and she is the granddaughter of a famous author who wrote this book of fairy tales. And she wrote it. She became super famous. There was a movie. But then uh, by the time that this girl Alice is a teenager, all of those books are being destroyed or abducted or they're just disappearing from the general market. Like they're super hard to find. So rare booksellers try to find them. But then like there's always mysterious mishaps of them being murdered or or whatever around this book. So if you love books, as if you're listening to podcasts, you probably do, (laughs) then you'll love this as well because it's about uh, this mysterious book. Um, And that's like the first part of it and I will say 
that the first probably 75 pages are a bit slow, but I feel like it's like a snowball because once you get to a certain point, it just all just speeds up so fast. And it's about this girl and she and her mom are like always traveling, running from something mysterious, obviously. And she's never really met her grandma. And so she wants to know about it. And then her mom is abducted. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. Right. And she's taken into the Hazelwood, which is her grandmother's estate. And so Alice decides to go find it. She finds this guy who's like a super fan of the book. And they, she and the guy go and try to find it. And they end up going, obviously, to the Hazelwood and plot ensues, you know. I don't know why, but hearing you describe it made me think of the 13th tale. It's sort of like that, but not like historical and domestic and kind of creepy. It's more like yeah. fairy tale creepy, you know, um, because it is a it is a fantasy book in the end. Like, you know, it's not an obvious spoiler. They go to the Hazelwood, so there's obviously magic and stuff involved. What's interesting is that there is this... It's like almost like she's creating new fairy tales. Not only does she have allusions to classic fairy tales by Hans Christian Andersen and the Brothers Grimm, but she also creates her own new ones. And they are creepy enough and weird enough that they seem plausible, you know? I've seen it around for forever, and I just was like, whatever. But now I feel like I need to read it. It's definitely a great escapist book. Like, it's not going to win any awards for great writing or for excellence of, of whatever, but it is a great book just to sit down and enjoy the story. Uh, of what's going on. It's kind of like an adventure story. It's definitely one of those type of books. But I definitely feel like different books do different things. And so this is what I needed at the time. It's, is it part of a series? I think it is. According to Goodreads, it's like number one in the Hazelwood series, but it is a contained novel. So there isn't a cliffhanger at the end or anything. You could read it on its own. Uh, okay. Because I had it in my head that this was part of a series, so that makes sense. Goodreads. She could just leave it alone and never write anything else, and it would still be fine. Like, there wouldn't be anything you're left wondering about. It's just it's just fun. And I really enjoyed her take on fairy tales and what that means. And she gets kind of weird and meta about storytelling and what that means for the characters themselves, like if they were alive or whatever. And so she does a great job of that as well, because they do enter, like, the book, you know. Also not a spoiler, because it's, like, on the cover, so... If it's on the cover, it can't be a spoiler. Um, right? That's the rule. Right? Right? <laughs> I don't think I've even read the synopsis. I was just like, ooh, pretty. Same. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so that is The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert, and that's out from Flatiron Books. Which brings us to the middle of our podcast, where we are talking about the Reading Women's Store. If you don't already know, we have a brand new store that we have hosted on Etsy right now. And we have some amazing blind book dates. And I'm looking at the stack of books right now. And there are some amazing authors on here. And we recently lowered the prices of our books as well. Just a little bit because we got some great deals. How it works is you send us the three most recent books that you liked. And Kendra and I will do some magic and sorcery. And then we will pick a book that we think that you will like as well. And it's been a lot of fun um, to pick those out and send them to people. Yeah, it's really our superpower. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it really well, Kendra especially. <laughs> I'll be like, What do you think about this book? And she's like, Because of this nuance of this title, I think that they <laughs> would like this one better and I'm like, Oh, okay, you're right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so we really enjoy doing this and it is a lot of fun to find the books to the right people sometimes people also pick out a book like say hey you know i'm picking this out for my friend um also a lot of people you know they link their goodreads so we can jo- go and check out other books that 
you know, you might have enjoyed for that. So that's really fun to go see that as well. And sometimes people will request a book and we'll think of a book and then we go check their Goodreads and it takes us like five times and they're like, well, they did enjoy that, but they've already read it. Yes, that's one thing. If you are on Goodreads, we definitely recommend that you send your Goodreads profile link to us because that way we make sure we don't send you a book that you already have. So yeah. don't be afraid that, we'll, that that will happen because we try to be really good about it. Yeah. So it's really cool. You get these amazing stickers, these Reading Women recommended stickers. They're so shiny and beautiful. And I struggle not to stick them on all of my books because they're so pretty. Um, but you can only get them by ordering a blind book date. So this is true. But we also have some other stuff at our store. Like we have tote bags, which are great for carrying books. We have bookmarks. We have stickers. So be sure to go over and check that out. We will have a link to it in our show notes. And it's also linked on our website. And I think you have the next pick, Autumn, which I'm excited to hear more about this book. Yes. So I had a book crisis a couple days ago, and the book I had originally picked was just, I ended up not liking it. So anyway, so this is a pick of a book that I read last year, actually, and it is Last Night in Montreal by Emily St. John Mandel, and this book is published by Unbridled Books. And most of you probably know Emily St. John Mandel from her book Station Eleven, which I really enjoyed. And so when I heard that that was not her first book, of course, I had to go back and read all of her backlog. But so far, I've only read this book of her. She has two others as well. And the McKay's used book God smiled upon me a couple weeks ago, and they had all of her books. Can you believe it? Like They knew you needed them. (laughs) It was a need. I, like, literally squealed in the aisle. I was like, oh, my goodness, like, I can't believe they have this. But anyway, so Last Night in Montreal is her first novel, which is amazing because, like, anyone who has a great debut, I just can't even believe it. Sure, there are parts probably where you can tell it's a debut, but so it's her first one, and it is the story of Lila Albert, who at the very beginning we're not really sure what's going on with her. We know that she's had a traumatic event in her life. And she travels from city to city trying to uncover, like, this thing that happened to her in her childhood. And we also find out that she's being followed by a private detective who's also trying to, who's trying to, like, track her down. So we're also introduced to her boyfriend, Eli, who they're, he's making breakfast in their apartment one morning, or he's writing a paper, he's a PhD student, and he, she goes out to get the newspaper and never comes back. And so that kind of triggers a journey for him where he's trying to find Lila, that's what her name is, right? Lila and like where she is. And like I said, we know at the beginning that she has had this traumatic event that's happening to her. And we slowly find out that she was kidnapped by her dad when she was very, very young. But she doesn't remember why. And like she wasn't abused or anything. And that's part of the mystery is like she can't figure out like why her dad would kidnap her from her mom and her brother when she doesn't really know what was going on with her mom or what was going on with her dad. So this is really amazing, like complexly plotted book that I just really enjoyed it. I recently found it on Scribd and I was like, oh, this is amazing. They actually have her entire like, well, not maybe not entire, but a lot of her backlist on there. And so that's really so I was like, well, obviously this is destined so I can listen to these. Absolutely. Well, and I think it happens with the authors where they have a book that gets published and it's not their first one and they get famous, but then no one really goes back and reads the backlog. 
And I actually really enjoyed this book a lot. If you read reviews online, there are some people who are like, ugh, the prose. It's so whatever. But I actually really liked it. Um, it's very lyrical. It's very beautiful. It's not like overwrought or anything like that. And it's the kind of book that I think I was texting you while I was reading this book saying like, oh, this book makes me want to write a novel because it's that kind of book to me. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's true. And I think, you know, we have the Reading Women Challenge, and this would be a great one for a Canadian author for one of the challenges. If you like Station Eleven, definitely check out her backstory, her backlog. This is not post-apocalyptic, though, but it does. she does do similar things with the plot, where it's, like, not a linear narrative. So definitely check out Last Night in Montreal by Emily St. John Mandel. And my last pick is one of the Stella Price shortlisted novels that came out in the United States, uh, and that is The Life to Come by Michelle de Kretzer. This came out from Catapult, which is a division of Counterpoint, or Counterpoint's division of Catapult. I'm not exactly sure, but <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what order that goes in, <laughs> but I know they're related. So I was pretty excited about this. And this is definitely a Kendra novel because, first off, it's very hard to describe because it's so stylized and it's in five different episodes and it's just very convoluted and so many moving parts. And I think the fundamental thing to say about this novel is that the author mentioned that she was very fascinated with the idea of having a main character that was not actually central to the novel. Huh. Right? And so we have Pippa, who is essentially the main character. She is the only character that's in all five episodes. And she has her own episode, which is episode four. But she kind of glues everything together. And so what DeKretzer does with this novel is she's kind of talking or joining the conversation about Australian literature, which we also uh, is one of our challenges because I haven't read a lot of Australian literature and I know Autumn hasn't either. And so we wanted to like kind of feature that a little bit more. And she talks about the state of contemporary Australian literature and the publishing industry. So each of the main POV characters in each episode has a relation to Australian literature in some way. Yeah, I this book is hard in that sense of like, I don't get all the references, but I feel like at the same time, like I'm learning a lot about Australian literature that I didn't know before. Yeah. And it's definitely, it's a very stylized book. So think Ali Smith or Virginia Woolf, but with Virginia Woolf or Ali Smith, they keep their books to around 200 to 250 pages. So you don't have to like maintain this really intense stylized prose for that long. Uh, but Michelle DeKretzer's book is like 360 pages. Mm. So I do feel like you can get some reader fatigue with the book. But she does try to like combat that with the episodes by splitting it up. And and so um, there aren't chapter breaks, but there are like these paragraph breaks. And you know how they bold like the first word of the paragraph? So you yes. could do that if you're reading it in print. I was I did this on audio, and so I could hear it, and it's very... I really like the prose, but I think it can get a bit much. You have to definitely focus on the audiobook. Nobody's business. <laughs> it is really, the story is really interesting, though. Do you know more about why she wanted to do, like, what's the purpose of having a book where the main characters, the protagonist is not the main character? Yeah, I think she was just looking at it. I mean, I was listening to the interview. Part of the critique of the book 
uh, part of the critique the book is making is on Pippa. And Pippa is like this liberal white feminist failing novelist. And she is really just struggling at life. And she kind of views herself as super important. And she borrows from people's lives and writes them into novels. So we're actually looking at those people who she borrows the lives of in the other episodes and seeing how they're actually as equally or if not more important as Pippa. And it is a critique on that. There's also um, Sri Lankan immigrants because the author is a Sri Lankan Australian. And they look at that as well, um, again, with Australian literature. And there's just a lot of commentary going on in this book. And that's why it's one of our discussion books for yes. for, for next episode. Because I uh, actually tried to do a review of this on YouTube and I've edited it so much. And I'm just like, <laughs> how do you talk about this book? Like, it's just, there's so much in it. And I feel like if I was Australian, I would get a lot more out of it as well. But I did enjoy it. If you are Australian and you have read it, be interested to know what you think about it. Maybe you can give us some tips yes. that we don't have as Americans. That would be great. Because I'm like, I they mentioned these Australian authors, and I'm like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> it, it is interesting, though, because it has like a similar, I feel like, uh, The Strays by Emily Biddo, which we read last year, that kind of backwards look at Australian history. Yeah. Which I, definitely, I feel like the tone is kind of similar. Definitely longer. The Strays was really short, but yeah. Anyway. And the prose is is stylized like in Emily Biddo's, but it's totally different. It's definitely more stream of consciousness because we move from character's head to character's head, even within the different episodes with the particular POV character. So we'll have a lot to talk about next episode. Yes. So we'll we'll quit spoiling that and we'll talk about that later. But that is The Life to Come by Michelle DeKretzer and that's out from Catapult. So my last pick is A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Engel. And this was originally published by Farrar, Strauss, and Garot. And I don't know if it still is or not. I'm sure they have have like 50 million editions of this out <laughs> yeah. by now. Um, but that was the main one that I found. So anyway, I wanted to read this book because I never have. Go ahead, gasp in horror. No, I hadn't either. So oh, I'm okay. like, well, every time I tell people I've not read a wrinkle in time, they go, oh, "How yeah. have you made it to adulthood without reading it?" And I'm like, "The look oh, of horror." I just, I just did. Anyway, <laughs> so the movie, as everyone knows, came out and did amazingly, and so I wanted to read the book before I saw the movie, just for context and things. And so now I can go see the movie. That's the punchline of that. Um, but <laughs> it's the story of Meg Murray and she is a, I don't think we actually really know how old she is, but she's like, maybe like, oh, I guess she's in middle school, middle school ish, somewhere around there. She's not in high school yet. I like 14 something. Or is it like she a freshman? I don't remember. Like she's like, yeah. she's like on that precipice between like being a teenager and being a kid kind of thing. Yeah. And so she is one of four children her youngest brother, Charles Wallace, and then she has two twin brothers as well. And her parents are both scientists. And we find out pretty early on, and it's a very short book, really quick read, but we find out that her father's been missing for an undisclosed amount of time. And, but we get the feeling that it's been for years that he's been missing. And so she's getting a lot of teasing at school because of it. And her mom is like pretty upset about it. And... Even her principal's kind of like, Meg, you just need, like, you're acting out in class. I know it's because of your dad, and, like, you just need to get over it and move on with your life kind of thing. One night, she's in the kitchen talking to her brother, Charles Wallace, and he mentions Mrs. Who. And so, while they're in the kitchen talking to, like, his mom, 
her mom and Charles Wallace misses who appears. And so that that's when the story really starts to change from like an oh my dad is missing to where the fantasy elements start to come in. And um, it's a short book after that, so I'm not really going to talk too much about it. It's also our discussion book for the next episode. But so they go on this journey where there's time travel and they're, uh, they meet up with their friend Calvin. Well, he's not their friend before. He just kind of appears and then becomes their friend, which I thought was kind of strange, <laughs> but that's just me. Um, and so on this journey to like find their dad. Yeah, it, it's a really weird book, and it actually holds the record for the most times I've ever DNF'd a book was with this book when I was a kid and then like in junior high and then again in high school, and I think maybe even in college, and I just didn't connect with it. But then this past time, I loved it. So I have no idea. <laughs> like, I did feel like I had a bit of a disadvantage reading it as an adult. Like I could see how if I read it as a kid for the first time and then revisited it as an adult, that I probably would be a lot more gushy about it than what I am. <laughs> But, I mean, it is pretty adorable. And I know most of our friends, you know, who also are in, you know, bookish world, loved it as a kid. And they would talk about it and how they love Madeline Lingle. And I'd only read her poetry before, but it just never worked for me. I just mm-hmm. I just could not get into the book. And it was just so weird, you know? Like, it's incredibly weird. It's one of the weirdest books I've ever read. But but it's surprising to me that you wouldn't be into it. I know, right? You're such a big fantasy person. Exactly. I, I just... I it, don't know. It doesn't make sense. So this is actually the book that's been on my TBR the longest. So that's that challenge for me. <laughs> so, and actually, I have all of the other audiobooks on Scribd for the whole series. So I definitely am going to be using that as a break between like Rainbirds type books. <laughs> I definitely need to finish the series because I felt like this book was a cliffhanger for sure. Yeah. Like, yes, like yes and no. I don't know. It just felt un- un- unfinished to me. So I'm excited to like dig into the rest of the series. Did it have the afterward by her granddaughter at the end of the edition that you read? No. It's, it's really good. She talks about like feminism and how that interacts with Meg and different things. Uh, so we'll have to definitely talk about that in the next um in the next discussion episode that we have yeah that's really cool i'll have to see if we can get me a copy of that anyway so that is a wrinkle in time by madeline lingle well that is our six picks for going places uh they're so different right <laughs> i know they are so different um i guess most of them have a pretty literal theme of travel in them yeah yeah, but, I mean, we have middle reader and YA. We have, like, really heavy stylized literary fiction and then, like, a mystery slash whatever. And It was fun. Yeah, it's always interesting to see what happens when we just, like, go off and find the books that we want and bring them together. And I know. Yeah, I, maybe it's just nerd in me always trying to find patterns, but <laughs> I think it's cool. Uh, so what are you reading now? So I'm reading Built the Hidden Stories Behind Our Structures by... Roma, oh, and I did not look up her name, so I apologize, Agrawal, and this book is published by Bloomsbury, and it is a nonfiction book that says that it explores the wonders of engineering revealed by the inspirational female engineer behind the the Shard, Western Europe's tallest building. So it's just kind of talking about, like, um, the the people behind the buildings that we see. And it's, since it's written by a woman who's an architect, like I think it's going to be a really great perspective. I'm excited about it. It's like 99% invisible in a book. Yes, it really is. And it's long, too. It's like 
350 pages, but it has really good reviews so far, like 4.3 stars, which is incredible. Um, and I haven't read much nonfiction lately, so I'm really enjoying it. Well, it sounds amazing. And the cover is also fantastic. Bloomsbury yeah, always does such a great job. They really do. So definitely we'll link to it in our show notes if that sounds like something you're interested in. It's so, it promises to be really amazing. So what are you reading? Um, I am reading Mem, M-E-M, by Bethany C. Morrow. And this is a very short science fiction book from Unnamed Press. And this is about a, a, a near, maybe far future, I'm not exactly sure, future uh, world where memories, you can take out your memory, sort of like the pensive in Harry Potter, only you make them into yes. physical forms. Um, and I'm not sure like if they're robots and they do stuff or what, but one of them becomes sentient. And it's the idea of, like, what is, you know, what makes us human, what is intelligence, like, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I'd never heard of this concept ever before. And I'm always here for African-American women writing, you know, science fiction and just, you know, exploring those worlds and different things. And I'm, I'm just enthralled by this. So um, it's only what well, I think it might actually qualify as a novella. It's like 100 pages, maybe. Oh, wow. That is short. I'm very excited for this. And this is one of the books I'm taking with me on vacation. Mm. So be eager to hear how it turns out. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so that is our first episode in our theme of going places. If you haven't already, we would love it if you go to uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast or choice is and review us. It helps other people find us. And it's just incredibly helpful. So thank you so much if you have already done that. You can also check out our newsletter. It's always linked in the show notes. You can go check that out. We have new books reviews, and uh, we always announce our discussion books ahead of time in our newsletter as well. And we have sometimes we'll have like discount codes or whatever going through there. So you'll always want to stay up to date by checking that out. So that is our show. Thank you all so much for listening, and be sure to join us next time where we will be talking about the life to come and a wrinkle in time. Meanwhile, you can find Reading Women on social media at The Reading Women on Twitter, Litzy, Facebook, Instagram. I think that's it. And you can also find Kendra and me at Autumn Privet and at KD Winchester. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye, guys. Bye.